Preacher 23, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. My wife keeps me too busy trying to hook her up with Sam Whitworth. wonder if he'll play in my game if he accepts. Huh. Yo, this, yo, this is GM Timothy, and I'm up freaking way past my bedtime making a campaign for my players. You know why? Because I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Yep. Okay. This is Jedi Master Zarissa Organa. By judicious use of far-seeing and visions, I've discovered why no one ever listens to Order 66. They're all too busy hanging out in the biggest hive of scum and villainy this side of Moss Eisley, the Echo Base chat room. May the Force be with you, Gamer Nation. And this is for my friends in Scranton. Zetterberg installed to go for it with six and a half to go. Off the tie-up. It comes back to the point. Rafalski, the shot. Knocked down in front. Scramble. Another shot. Another shot. Oh, the horn sounds and the Penguins have won the Stanley Cup. Execute Order 66. This episode of the Order 66 podcast is brought to you in part by our sponsors GoDaddy.com, ThinkGeek.com, and Buy.com. Well, Game Out of Nation, we're in the 70s now. Episode number 70, you're back for the Order 66 podcast for Sunday, June the 14th, 2009. And as always, we have a beautiful show planned for you. But today, today is just a little bit different because I have not one but two co-hosts today. I am GM Chris. I'm GM Dave, by the way, not GM Chris. What the hell? I'm GM Chris. You're GM Chris. And then she would be... TG. My goodness. Good thing you didn't say you were TG. Then that would be really awkward. Yeah, it'd, it'd be bizarre. It'd be just, yeah. Flat out. <laughs> well, I, I, I am GM Dave. I mean, I, I, am, I am GM Chris. Uh, what is up, Gamer Nation? And uh, for those of you walking into this room for the very first time, this is, of course, the Order 66 podcast, the only fan-generated podcast entirely devoted to the power, passion, and glory that is Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing. Woot! Yeah. Oh, that was a, that was an impassioned woot and a very very a heartfelt. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're in the seventies. We got to bring it back to the the passion and the retro that is the set. I don't know. So we're talking about like Studio Fifty, like like we need cocaine and hookers, is what you're saying. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Wait, we have a very interesting marriage, Dave. We do. Me and, and GM Chris. Oh, I was gonna right. say, okay, I, you, I was... you guys have a marriage. That's, that's... <laughs> it's news to me if we do. Well, so. he, he he did say he was GM Chris, so you know, that's, I don't uh, care who great. it is. She well, his name is GM Chris. She doesn't care. Wow. 
Wow. Okay, so, um, yeah, as you heard off the top of the show, congratulations, because I hate the Detroit Red Wings, and so uh, not only to my friends in Philadelphia or Pennsylvania or Scranton or wherever the heck that is in the state of Pennsylvania, <laughs> congratulations to the Pens for beating those dastardly Red Wings. Word. Yep. I hate the Red Wings. I absolutely hate them. Uh, but I'm allowed. I'm a sports fan, you know, or at least a hockey fan. So, um, yeah, I'm allowed. I'm allowed to hate a team, and the team I hate is the Wings. There you go. There you go. There you go. So, anyway, yeah. So, let's move on. Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisitions. Greetings, Gamer Nation. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. All right, so yes, indeed. So yes, um, I don't know. I'm just off. I'm off my game. I'm just not. I don't know. I'm not 100 percent there. I'm not entirely Speak- sure why. It's because you had a microphone malfunction before the show started. I I guess. Just weird. <laughs> all these new listeners, all these new listeners, I have no idea if they're actually there or listening or not, and they make me nervous. Really? And it's funny because I, I, you know, I had quit being nervous before shows, I don't know, six months ago, and now all of a sudden I'm nervous before shows again, which is really weird. Because it's, it's you know, it's, it's intimidating. New listeners is intimidating. New listeners, yeah. But you know what else is intimidating? The, uh, the amount of offerings that have been pouring out of D20 Radio uh, in the past week, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say. Yeah, I keep getting chastised for not listening to all of them. I just don't have the time. There's so many good ones. That's I right. I can't pick. Yeah, you can shirk work like the rest of us. All right. I, I don't, I don't want to hear it. I don't, I mean, don't want to hear there's, it. There's lots of opportunity to listen on their way to work. I mean, you, I, I know how far you have to drive to work, so there's no reason why you can't listen. And okay, you know, now I'm getting I mean, it from just, both of y'all. That's, that's just the way fantastic. it is, and that's right. If we can let Cat on the show, the show, then she would wonder exactly why you haven't been diligent in making the podcast that you and Cat are going to do. So, <laughs> oh. so then you know, we can get we Bird. can go on three fronts. So you know, that's all right. We've yep. got the, we've got the three holes covered. We need the fourth orifice now. <laughs> <laughs> it's behind the kneecap, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. Well, dude, tell us about the most recent offering to hit our airwaves. This would be the negative world, our minus world, sorry. <laughs> Jake and Dylan, uh, believe have now have 3 episodes up all about E3 and everything about video games. This is one of D20 Radio's newest podcasts. And they are dedicated, the Minus World is dedicated to all things video gaming. I mean, they're going to talk about some other stuff, too, but I love having the video game podcast on the network now. It's great. Me too, dude. And they have a segment on there um, called Unchecked Aggression, where they have this one guy go off about something random in video games that pisses him off, and it's absolutely hilarious. I mean, yeah. I literally pee myself when I hear it. Nice. He, yeah, he has to play it over and over again for me to hear it. Crystal, listen to this again. Listen to it again. It's funny. It's, it actually, yeah, it's yeah. very funny. Great. 
And in an era of new podcasts uh, on this network, our other newest podcast has posted up their first and second episode, uh, episode one and two of Department 7, uh, D20 Radio's new podcast devoted to the D20 modern RPG. Join Agent Vincent, Agent Keith, and Agent Rick as they succeed in blowing your mind with the world of modern. And um, you guys all need to remember, of course, that Department 7 does not exist. Right. Just, what, just, what, just remember that. What, what department? Yeah. I, I don't know. It doesn't exist. Yeah, me either. Oh. Just like nobody okay. listens to ours anyway. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there you go. Maybe it's because they think we don't exist either. Maybe. Well, we don't in some alternate reality. Oh, somebody just watched Star Trek. You never know. <laughs> you never know. Alternate reality. <laughs> Yeah, a little unstable there, but anyway. Okay, so anyway, GM, Brev, and Tenny, guess what? They come back with Minis Mayhem number seven. Awesome. And they're talking about old Ben Kenobi. The most famousest Jedi ever. Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. Indeed. My poor impaled master. (laughs) It's a a good episode. I listened to it uh, this morning. Ah, uh, yes. It was all great until somebody gets maimed. Yeah. You know, that's just the way it is. And speaking of Star Trek, I'm going to call out GM Brev for not putting up an episode of Cinematic Attic in a while. I'm going to call out, um, actually, Jed on that one, because I believe that, that Brev's been trying to for some time. Really? Mm-hmm. Well. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll call out Jed then. We'll call that yet, but it's a good episode. And also, in terms of good episodes, Game On has released episode 23, uh, where Brian and Andy prepare you to win our current contest, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, as they spend quite some time talking about entering the wide world of metal miniatures. And uh, for those of you who are wanting to get into that hobby or maybe pick up a few new tips and tricks, they share with you their wisdom. I need to listen to that one. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Just when they thought they'd caught and passed Radio Free Hamlet. <laughs> Think again. RFH comes out with Adventure at number 23. And they have R2-D2 himself, Kenny Baker. No, no, that that's no. Oh, it's Keith Baker, Eberron creator Keith Baker, sorry. Eberron, you need to give Lord Keith Ear Baker himself... And his greater mark of making the respect which they are due. But I'm an Eberron junkie, so I was pretty freaking hyped about this episode. Yeah. So yeah. Well, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, oh, they I'm, score I'm, a really good interview with Keith Baker, so you guys check it out because it is covering what the player's guide and um, breaking about, into the RPG industry as a writer, which serves as a segue. Speaking of uh, Donovan's big book of. Uh-huh. NPCs. Uh, Guess what you can do when you apply yourself and you actually put your stuff up on D20 Radio instead of waiting for artwork for nine months. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, call what, him out. <laughs> please do. What Dave is alluding to is the very cool announcement that I'm proud to make D20 Radio's own. I love saying that. Donovan Morningfire, a.k.a. Jonathan Stevens, as he's known in the uh, that paltry existence called Real Life. Has managed to do what we all want to do and break into the industry. Old Dono has contributed as a freelance writer to the upcoming Galaxy at War sourcebook. And I, for one, am very excited to see his name on the ink. And even more excited to say, ladies and gentlemen, 
we have our own dev. Ha <laughs> ha! Uh, seriously, congrats, John. We're doing the freaking Snoopy dance hardcore for you, pal. Yep. See, so Congrats. just when just when you guys think that the D20 download section is absolutely worthless and you don't know why you'd ever send anything in, look at this guy. He put two stuff up there. Boom. Rodney called him. Because I'm sure it was entirely us. It was. Entirely it us. was. Oh, I, yes. I talked to Rodney and he said, man, I saw that big book of NPCs and I couldn't help myself. <laughs> well, there you go. Yep. That's what that's what it was. They're responding very favorable in the chat room to Tano. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. We who are about to die salute you. Ah, yes, of course. Very good. So. <laughs> ah, yes. The chat room. Echo Base. Thank you all for being an Echo Base. Imperial troops have entered the base. Imperial troops have entered Welcome to Echo Base, rebel scum. We're the Empire, and we're here to help. <laughs> I love that bit. It's kind of fun. How many people are in the chat room? Uh, right now, there are... Uh, 85. Good lord. Holy cow. Wow, that's awesome. pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> I like it. If any of you guys would like to, of course, uh, listen to this cast live and contribute to the discussion, you can do so at Echo Base. Uh, you can find the link for that right off our main site at d20radio.com. Yep. And uh, while you're there, you can uh, click on the link uh, for the community, which will take you to d20radio.com slash forum, where you can find the details for our Lewist contest, uh, which is still going on. Actually, we're coming close to the end of it. we only got two weeks left, and I'm a little nervous because we've only had maybe five or six entries so far. There's only been a few. There's only been a few, but basically we've got a treasure trove of Reaper miniatures, paints, brushes, and a, just a crap load of minis to give away to the person who wants to modify and paint the best Star Wars or science fiction miniature they can. Also, the best fantasy mini they can. we got two contests going on. You can win one or the other or both. And a Reaper is kind enough to be judging this for us. And uh, the deadline for this, guys, is the end of the month. So you're going to want to get your minis done and post it up there as soon as possible. Indeed. So, uh, speaking of time frames in the next week or so, Origins oh, is coming up yeah. in about right 10 days or so. And uh, Vader's son, Duncan McEwen, is going to be there uh, running the Death of the Star of Agnor, which is a D20 con module, the second. Of course, since the guy running the first one, apparently he's waiting for art. It might actually be the first one that gets published on the site. Bah. Actually, it's, it's, dude, it's, it's, okay, it's been work, and you know my work situation because you work with me. <laughs> no, 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 no artwork. It's going to be going up um, after I finish my, my deadline coming up this week. I hope to have it up by Friday. Awesome. Yay. Huzzah. Awesome. All right. So, anyway, Duncan is going to be running the Death of the Star of Agnor Wednesday, 7 p.m., Friday at 2 p.m., and he's going to run the Betrayal of Darth Revan at 9 a.m. on Friday. These would be all dates within the Origin Game Fair on the 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, something there. So if you guys can make it out there, go find him. You can find out originsgamefair.com. And uh, entries and all that good stuff for we want to uh, begin to prepare you, Gamer Nation, because beginning July 14th, I believe, you will be able to vote at or for the Any Award winners. And we would very much, assuming we make it into the top five nominees, assuming. we would very much appreciate if you guys go and vote at nworld.com. 
But of course, if we are selected to be the top five or whatever, we will let you know how to do that at a later time. And nice. So that's good stuff right there. Until then, keep your fingers crossed, please. Yeah, <laughs> just keep your fingers crossed. So yeah. So what did you get this week? Did you? I, I did. I got a, I got a postcard. Um, it kind of odd one. It was secreted to me uh, last week, actually, in an imperial diplomatic pouch. And aside from the the personal symbol of Emperor Palpatine, which was emblazoned on the exterior envelope, it, there's a picture on the postcard of of a rather unremarkable blue green world, covered in small oceans and forested terrain. And there's a faint shimmer that surrounds the planet, making it hazy and indistinct. And the words on it read, Welcome to the secret world of Wayland. This postcard was made for convenience. Tell anyone about Wayland and we will kill you. Oh dear. (laughs) From across the galaxy, it's time for postcards from Commander Cody. GM Dave and GM Chris. Hi guys, it's been a strange week. Our unit was given what I thought was undignified delivery duty, taking an Imperial parcel from His Excellency Emperor Palpatine to a secure locale. But arriving here? I'm not so sure. I couldn't even tell you where here is. We're in the mid-rim, I think. But you see, we were given a navigator who had memorized the hyperspace coordinates of a world referred to only as Wayland. He got us there, and I hate to do it, but was given orders once he came on board to liquidate him the moment we left this place. Poor fellow. The item we're transporting isn't exactly a box of family photos, either. You know, I wonder what old Palps' family photos would look like. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, uh, it's some type of dark stone monolith covered in creepy writing. It hums constantly and seems to attract spooky mist all around it, even in the cargo bay. Arriving at Whiteland is clear the Emperor uses this hidden world for the storage of such things. A really disturbed-looking man took possession of it when we arrived. He had one of those laser swords on his belt, and he sliced one of my men in half when he nearly dropped the artifact. I was shocked, but I didn't complain. I just want to get out of here. There are industrial ruins here on Whiteland, several thousand years old, and it's a populated world. Two primitive native cultures that I've learned are called the Mayan Airshi, a warlike forearmed race with blue-hued crystalline flesh, and the sudden, a large and squat race of primitive behemoths covered in rock-like plates. These two seem to be warring amongst themselves constantly, along with, get this, a group of primitive humans. They might have been technologically advanced at one point, maybe the builders of these ruins, but they've degenerated to savagery. On this strange forested world, I think that's easy to do. For a planet that's not on any star chart or official record, it would indeed make a great place to put things the Emperor didn't want found. And the cloaking technology maintained here by the Imperial Presence will seem to reinforce that. Frankly, I'm happy to get out of here, kill our navigator, and never think of this place again. Blast, when we put that monolith in the storage room, it started talking with a floating pyramid also in there. I'm, I'm, I'm done, chaps, done. I'm off. I'm ready to kiss this planet and its strange inhabitants and creepy secrets goodbye. If you're looking to find Wayland, Good luck. Later, guys. Long live the Empire! Your friend, Commander Coat. Well. That's, uh... Yeah. Something else. I, I've not I've not been to, uh, to Wayland, but the, from, from what I gather, not many people... Not many people have. Um, 
I don't know. TG, it sounds kind of creepy, yeah? Yeah, it does. I don't think I want to go, especially since we're really not supposed to know about it. That's 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 very true. They just produce old true. country and western singers. No, that would be Waylon Jennings. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. With his new hit, I kissed my sweetie with my fist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. Ah. <laughs> nice. Nice, nice, nice. Okay, and so with that, we Twenty docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Ah, uh, yes. Time for the D twenty docking bay. Questions. We have questions. Letters. We get letters. Lots and lots of letters. So we're gonna start. With a couple of rules questions from Rebel Robot. Rebel Robot. Who says, for question number one, when blocking melee attacks, do the benefits of the Shicho lightsaber form and the use of the cross guard lightsaber stack? I, I, <laughs> I, I, I think he's an actual guy, not a robot. Query. <laughs> hey. Where? <laughs> Very beat bag. When blocking melee attacks to the benefits of Shicho lightsaber form and the use of a cross guard lightsaber stack, your response has been noted. Meat bag. Meat bag. <laughs> yeah, I know. Our, oh, this, is, this is a good question. Uh, uh, you know, do, do the benefits of Shicho and the use of a cross guard lightsaber those benefits stack? Um, well, for those following along at home, uh, the Shicho talent from the lightsaber forms talent tree is one of the cooler talents that Jedi Knight can take. And we gushed over how awesome sauce it is way back in episode 25. In a nutshell, when you're using the block or the deflect talent, you only take a minus two penalty on successive block or deflect attempts instead of the normal minus five penalty. Now the cross guard lightsaber is this freaky lightsaber we've only seen a couple times in the EU, but basically it's like a normal lightsaber but right at the hilt, you have a 90-degree miniature blade spiking off. So it looks kind of like an L. Um, and it's designed to kind of serve as a cross guard, basically. Um, and it is detailed on uh, Jedi Academy Trading Manual, page 52. And without any type of talent, it accomplishes the exact same thing for block attempts, uh, moving that minus 5 to a minus 2. But it actually makes it harder for you to deflect, forcing the user to take a minus 2 to all use the force checks when attempting to use the deflect talent. Now, as for the pair of these things stacking, um, well, sure, yeah, they stack. They both accomplish the same thing. They move you from a minus 5 to a minus 2 on successive block attempts. Um, sure. Wielding both a cross guard saber and having Shicho wouldn't somehow make that a minus zero if that's what you're implying. Um, it would still be the same benefit, moving from a minus five to a minus two. Only now, your deflect attempts would all be at a minus two, making successive deflect attempts with a Shicho a minus four instead of a minus two. What, what you're getting at, Rebel Robot, is basically a massive benefit for nothing more than equipment choice. And if it sounds too good to be true... It probably is too good to be true. Mm, yeah. So, yeah. Is okay. that ruling? Does, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. You're awfully quiet, TG. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Good. It makes sense to me. 
All right. I'm still trying to figure out the choice of the the name for it. She she chew. She <laughs> hey, you know what? This is ancient canon. Right, okay. Seriously, this, this stuff was established a long time ago. Chicho, yeah, exactly. So Chicho and Vapid and all. Kinds and you can't argue with canon. I mean, you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm glad we see eye to eye on that. Right. Yeah, I would probably get murdered in my sleep if I did. I I understand this. There you go. <laughs> okay, so question um, number two. All right, and it was meant to be a very bad old robot kind of sounding thing for all you in the chat room that just didn't get it. Uh, just bizarre. I got it. They're dense, I tell you in the chat room. They're dense. Okay. Echo base. So, question number two. Wielding a, li- a long, wielding a long handle lightsaber, two-handed, lets you give up doubling your strength bonus to damage to increase the base damage to 2d10. So, if using the Pikachu style, I'm no, sorry, that's that's at Ataru, Ataru, yes, style two-handed, would you still do two d10 plus twice your Dex bonus to damage? Well, the Ataru talent, uh, also from the lightsaber forms talent tree, uh, lets you add your Dex bonus to damage instead of your strength bonus, and it says you can add double your Dex if you're wielding it two-handed. Um, the long-handled lightsaber was first introduced in the Legacy Era campaign guide, and then again in the Jedi Academy Training Manual, page 53. Um, and as you say, uh, Robot, you can forego doubling your strength bonus two-handed with it, and instead you deal 2-die-10 with it instead of 2-die-8. Now, in terms of your question, this is really the same issue as before, Robot. If it sounds too good to be true... <laughs> I mean, look, there's been no official ruling on this, but I'm not sure that we need one. The clear intent of Ataru was to replace strength with dexterity in lightsaber use. As such, I would say that you couldn't apply double dex to a long-handled lightsaber with a taru, the same as you couldn't apply double strength with it. I mean, this is an easy ruling, it is balancing, it is sensible, and like the most of the system, it follows the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. And it seems to me to be the very clear intent of the rule. Don't call our listeners stupid. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. Wait a second. I'm calling you everyone You just called stupid. Echo Base dense. Ooh. I called so, actually. I, I actually I called out one person in Echo Base, and she knows who she is. But fair enough, you know. <laughs> that's just okay. the way it goes. Now I think this ruling makes sense because the the feat is isn't to add additional decks on top of the strength that you would do. It's to do it in place of the strength. That's what Ataru is entirely about. It's just a replacement. So as right. such, anything that would apply to strength should apply to decks. Right. Okay, so let's turn our case to Winters. Oh, one of our newer forum members. One of our brand new forum members, and has also has a couple of questions. So, what size is a deactivated lightsaber? Mm. It depends on whether it depends on how cold you are. And um, it, it, uh, it also depends on how big your Schwartz is. <laughs> okay, he's talking about lightsabers that Jedi use, not nicknames. Yeah, I know. Okay. You know, speaking right. strictly euphemistically, if it's deactivated, then never mind. Just let yeah. your mind wander. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to leave that there. It's okay. What it's size? It's a swift action. <laughs> it's a, it is a swift Ignited. action. That's right. That's right. I See? Wish. That's just the light. That's the nature of the lightsaber. Yes. You touch it and watch it grow. 
<laughs> I wish. All right, what size is a deactivated lightsaber? Winters, we have discussed this in the past, but it's a very common question, and it's important to remember when we discuss this that a weapon size category, a lightsaber is a medium-sized weapon, for example, it's not the object's actual physical size, but it's just a category used to measure how easy it is to wield it. For actual physical sizes of objects, go ahead and turn your core rulebook to page 151 and look at table 9-1. Um, though a lightsaber is not specifically listed there, it's not hard to simply compare a lightsaber to other things on that table in terms of size. A data pad is listed as a diminutive item, and a computer is listed as tiny. Um, I would classify a lightsaber to be a tad bigger than a data pad and probably put it in the tiny category when it is unignited, making it very easy to hide. So. Nice. Okay. So what would, what would be the point of knowing the size of a lightsaber? Why, well, why does it matter? Like when Primarily. you attack it as an unattended object or something, right? There, so that's, there, there's two things that come to mind immediately. Dave hit the first one right away, which is if I want to attack it, according to the rules, I have to hit, um, if, if it's just sitting there um, on a table and I want to slice it in half, I have to, it, has, it has a reflex defense equal to 10 plus its, uh, its size modifier. And what, knowing whether it's a tiny object or a small or a diminutive makes a difference. Um, the same goes if someone's holding it as well. So, um, although it's much higher because it's their reflex defense plus the size modifier. So you're saying size does matter. I'm saying size does matter. The other time it would also apply where size really matters is when you're trying to hide something. Using the stealth application, the size of the object um, can help you conceal it if it's very, very small. Or it could be harder to conceal it if it's larger. So. Damn skippy, boy. There you go. All right. So Got question it. number two. Does Unstoppable Force apply against the new Jedi Academy training manual lightsaber form powers? Nice. Okay. Winters, you have brought up one of my Favorite new feats. Oh, my God. I can't wait for the, uh, for, for, for the Fragments from the Rim guys to talk about this. I think they might already have. Um, uh, it's on page 31 of the Clone Wars campaign guides. And I can tell you that a lot of my nasty, nasty NPCs now use this feat. And that this gem of a feat has zero prerequisites. Basically, with this feat called Unstoppable Force, you get a plus five to your fortitude and will defenses, and by extension, damage threshold, against any effect requiring a use the force check. In other words, it's a big F you to force users. If you target targeted with a force power that attacks your fortitude or will, which most of the really nasty ones do, you get a plus five to your uh, fortitude and will defense against it. Very nice. So there. So there. But um, in terms of your question... Every single one of the lightsaber form powers in the Jedi Academy training manual is basically just an attack roll. That intent was made very clear when we had Rodney on the podcast last. Um, and every attack roll, ladies and germs, targets what? Uh, reflex. Reflex. Mm. So. Will. So no. Um, Marshall. Holly. <laughs> thank you. Uh, some have advanced the idea that the increased fortitude defense from Unstoppable Force would apply to damage threshold against any damage caused by a lightsaber form power, but that is convoluted and very, very anti-KISS. Um, the power itself does not target your fortitude defense or your damage threshold. It targets your reflex defense because it's an attack roll. Anything else that is affected by your reflex defense is not directly targeted by the power. So, right. Okay. Cool. Does that make sense? Have you seen this feat in action, TG? No. Yeah. I oh. have not. You have. You, just, you have. You just didn't know you. Oh, no. Okay. Right. <laughs> That's, that, I say that quite often, actually. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, GM Drew posts up a few choice questions. I think we missed one, didn't we? No. 
Uh, number one, if I'm a Wookiee, Felucian or Tal's Force user, and take the Force Technique language, Absorption, it states yep. that I can read, write, understand, speak that language for 24 hours. So, with the races listed above, with this Force Technique, remove the racial limitation on speaking for the stated amount of time. Good lord, is there uh, is there like something in the water that tells everybody I want to ask stupid questions today? Oh, aren't we feisty? I am a little <laughs> feisty. Golly. All right. Dave, no, 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 no. Why do you think it's stupid? Well, because I, 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 I kind I, of I'm agree. a Wookiee. I'm going to take a uh, all of a sudden I can speak basic for 24 hours. Give me a freaking break. I would agree that a force technique should not give you the ability to spontaneously grow vocal cords, which is pretty much what would happen for a Wookiee to speak basic. Um, I, I think the serious intent of language absorption was to give you total comprehension of the language, hence spelling out that you can read, write, understand, and speak it. That's kind of why they spelled it out. But again, if you don't have the ability to speak that language, I mean, biologically, I don't think the technique is going to allow that to happen. Right. So, so... Say, for instance, you were a race that didn't have legs, so you couldn't walk. Mm -hmm. But you took a feat that would allow you to run twice as fast for 24 hours. Well, it, would, it wouldn't make any sense because... Unless you, you ran with your arms. You even... Yeah, but, you know, but, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's a good analogy. Like, if, if I played a race, um, oh, like a shard, which is one of the new uh, races that is uh, in Jedi Academy Training Manual, and I didn't have my little droid body. I'm just a crystal sitting on the ground with a speed of zero, and I activated the surge power. I'm not all of a sudden going to be able to move six squares. <laughs> I you know I can't move. Right. So that's that's kind of that's kind of where we're in the same line I put. All right. And, and well, you know what? And I should say this. GM Drew, I'm very sorry. I didn't mean to call you out there. <laughs> 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 We've just had like three questions in a row with uh, things that really, you know, when you sit down and you think about them, this can't happen. So, all right, let's see let's get to the next one. Hopefully the next one's Okay, so let's say the Rin Rin? Yeah. The Rin. Racial Trait Connection states that uh, they have an easier time obtaining information via gather information check, but the language in the trait says that they need to meet other Rin in order to accomplish that. Is it flavor text, or does it only work when other Rin are present? All right. I like that question much better. I do like this question a lot better. Um... Uh, the answer would be yes. Uh, I don't know. TG, you, you and I are playing in a, in a, a group with a Rin right now in actually Kat's game. Um, yeah. and, and I think she's handling it masterfully. I mean, m most of the time, uh, this Rin character can find another Rin to talk with, but not always. I mean, yes, another Rin does have to be there, but how often and when that is is really up to the GM. Is this flavor text, Drew? Yes. But the point of the ability is to capitalize on the social network the Rin have developed among themselves. No Rin, kind of hard to do that. Yeah. Okay, so if there's a Rin there, do you get a, like a racial bonus for gathering information? Um, I'm trying to remember the ability off the top of my head. Uh, I, I wrote this some time ago um, when, I, when I originally read the question. I believe that they don't, they don't have to pay the uh, credits associated with making a gather information check. Ah, okay. Right. So, 
Okay, so, so now we're going to turn our attention to things that affect us in our game, sort of. Kind of, sort of. So let's talk about you, TG, and your character. The <laughs> Ula, who has a little problem with gambling. <laughs> so this relates to a question that Buzz... She, she doesn't have a problem with gambling. She can stop any time. <laughs> she doesn't have a problem with gambling. She has a solution for gambling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she can quit anytime she wants to. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So BuzzFX, BuzzXF, <laughs> wants to know, <laughs> if you gamble on a starship... Can the hyper-driven talent be used to increase the die result? Well, what? I mean, um, it 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 kind of it kind of applies to a skill check, right? Well, an ability check, yeah. Um, the hyper-driven talent uh, is from the Scoundrel Spacer Talent Tree. It's on page forty-seven of the Core Rulebook, and what it does is very simple. Once a day, and this is just once a day, it lets you add your Scoundrel level to the result of a single attack roll, skill check, or ability check, as long as that check occurs aboard a starship. Now, per the gambling rules on the very same page of the core rulebook, as long as you're not playing a game of pure chance, you're making an ability check, wisdom to be precise. Um, thus, hyper-driven would let you add a bonus to gamble checks, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you know, keep in mind, it, it's just a once-a-day thing, and if, if you want to spend that on a gamble check, sure. But I don't know, man. What do you think? I think this is very scoundrelly. And in a really good game where that gamble check is like, okay, we have to win this to get money to get off the station. We have to win this to gain, you know, to, to, to defeat the hut at the game of Sabak and, and win the, you know, the prisoner frozen in carbonite from him. When it's integral to the plot, I think it's a perfect time to use this talent towards such a thing. It's so scoundrelly, right. that ability okay. to, to call upon your experience as a scoundrel to help you out. In scoundrelly activities. Okay, you use scoundrel like five times in a row, but you didn't actually explain how theatrically this skill would be used for gambling. Well, so I mean, what is is this? Well, okay, well, how so familiar with the starship that he knows that it's going to rock at this specific time in space, so he can roll the dice and know that it's going to affect his his dice roll in this game. A particular, I mean, how how does it play out? That's a good question. I think it could be a little different each time. How, how is a scoundrel's knowledge of a starship going to assist them when they point a blaster pistol at somebody on the bridge and fire? Um, it, it's anything they do while on board. And I, I think so many of the scoundrel's talents represent just innate luck. I, I just think it's very flavorful and fitting. Perhaps they understand uh, you know, that they're, just, they're, they're so comfortable on a starship because they're hyper-driven that they can you know, devote themselves entirely to this check and let their true nature come out. You know, something to that effect. I, you know, I'm not sure. I think a good GM can put lots of flavor behind it. Yep. That's, okay. what, I, that's, what, I would, uh, that's what I would do. But um, yeah, and, and to TG's point, you said scoundrel about 17 times, and then I think you said... Character level, and you should have said scoundrel level. Sorry, sorry, I meant scoundrel level. Class level, whatever. So class level, yeah, yeah. And I did. I, I said scoundrel a lot. Scoundrel, scoundrel, scoundrel. Yeah, exactly. Scoundrel. So, um, <laughs> the last question is uh, also somewhat of a personal nature, and this would be from D Twenty Radio's own Sam Whitwer. Who Man, he... we own a lot of people, don't we? We 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 have a Donovan. 
we have, and a, we yeah, have, we have a, a Sam Witwer. So yeah. we, I mean, wow, we're like owning people. That's well, just be careful. Wicked. Be careful with that because you know there's a very common misconception. Sam had that same misconception too. We don't own them. They're just our own. We've added their distinctiveness to our own. So they are a part of us, like family, so to speak. We've added oh. their distinctiveness We do to not own them. <laughs> we never own them. No one owns the Whitwer. <laughs> just ask him. No one you. owns the Whitwer. He will tell you that not even Bioware owns him. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> here's what he said. He said, okay, check it. I talked to Rodney about this on his podcast, and now he's going to call him out. He's going to call us out, actually. Talking about Threats of the Galaxy. It's a good book. But wouldn't it be way more effective if they used D&D-style stat blocks? So explaining special abilities and talents within the stat block. So it was very time-consuming looking up each of those abilities, trying to guess from what book they came from, yada yada, and transcribing the pertinent data into a word doc when he was prepping. This is Sam speaking. I don't like the D&D system as much as Saga, and who really does, but for God's sake, their monster manual was dead on. At a glance, you know exactly how to run every single monster. So, And I know why they did it. They did it for space constraints. You know? But yeah, I think the bigger box would be great. And I didn't really respond to the email because I was going to put it in the show. But yeah, I'm with you, brother. Now, now Rodney himself brought this to a thought some time ago over on the Watsi Gleemax forums. Um, he presented the idea, and he actually listed up some some example stat blocks in that 4th edition D&D style. Um, and as, as I mentioned to Sam initially, looking at, at that post, I think it's a great idea, but the issue that I had with it was the fact that super large power stat blocks, like Palpatine, for example, they were a page long. Yeah. With force powers especially that have different effects based on the DC you get, that's a lot of information to put in a stat block. Um, right. and, and recently, when asked about it on Gleemax, Rodney uh, has recently said that, they, that you know, he's a big fan of the update, but they would not be updating stat blocks at this late of a stage in the development of the system. Uh, it would be far too jarring, um, and I, I, I would say that I would agree with his assessment. Um, I don't think the majority of the Saga Edition gaming community would respond favorably to a change of that magnitude. Um, Wouldn't respond favorably to a change of that magnitude. Yes, but Sam actually had a response to that, did he not? Yes, he did. To which he replied, I understand that expanded stat blocks will take up more space, but that's the point, isn't it? Mm -hmm. This is the space we would need anyway to make Palpatine runnable. Or, <laughs> say we don't include force powers in the stat block. They are semi-standard after all, but talents? To quote Star Wars, there's too many of them. There's too many! Ugh. <laughs> okay, I get it. The D&D Monster Manual has little to no fluff, and that sucks. However, those monsters are in many cases incredible, fantastical, and fascinating. Thanks for the alliteration there, Sam. For me, do I need a paragraph or two on the lore of a slicer? Hell no. It's interesting, but not that interesting. Give me a stat block that tells me how to run a slicer. So, Threats of the Galaxy 2, anyone. I don't know. Maybe Sam, maybe. Look, I, I will say this. Threats of the Galaxy in particular had a lot to draw from. Um, the other stat blocks in the other books have, in most cases, stuck to the core rulebook and the source book that they're in for all abilities. So that's a lot easier to find stuff. But still, 
I, I do think this is a good idea. I mean, I know they're not going to adjust it at this late in the game. And I know you guys have seen some of the stat blocks that I prepare for my games, and I, I kind of reorganize them, and I put like little mini descriptions of what a power does or what a feat or talent does, um, kind of in parentheses behind it, so I know what it does. I mean, what do you guys think? Do you think a restructuring of how the stat blocks are done would be prudent at this juncture? I mean, because I, I freaking love the 4th edition stat blocks. They're incredible. They're, they're awesome. Well, I think, first of all, it, it, I don't know if I have a whole lot of, um, credence that I can bring to this discussion just because I'm not a GM. I don't run. I'm a player and I, I probably always will be. But um, what I can say is that you, for example, you take it and you make it your own. You take the information, you put it in your own customized stat block. And it's a lot of work. It is, but it works faster and better for you. Um, and everybody's different, and some people might want to see the stat blocks one way versus another way. So if you change it to the 4E, there might be a whole lot of people who like it, but there will probably be a lot of people who don't like it and can't read it. Yeah. Yeah. This well, true. yeah, I guess. I, I, I can see both sides, but here's, here's the, uh, the one thing I'm going to say is the fact that this is um, one of those things that they're going to change when Star Wars Saga Edition, the next version, comes out, which I think they're already planning for in some way, shape, or form. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a, you know, every five years or so, something new is going to come out. So they're going to replace this system with something else to get us to buy all new books and stuff. You know, that's... I mean, it's a revenue center for them. You know, they're in business to make money, and I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't fault them for it. I'd go out and buy more books, and they know it, and that's why they'll do it. But anyway, so these these types of things for enhancements to the system, we will see in the next set of books when they start coming out, and whenever that may be, that may be 2013 or whatever. Who knows? But right about the time that I'll be getting tired of Star Wars: The Old Republic. <laughs> Yeah, Very nice. so there you go. All right, so let's take a step back for just a second, and we're going to listen to the dusky dulcids of Stormtrooper poetry. How about that? Is that all right? Sounds great. Sure. All right, good. And now, Stormtrooper poetry. Smoked a death stick the other day, and a bit of my life just puffed away. My lungs are fine, and I feel great. Nothing wrong, <clears throat> and I'm in a healthy state. I'm not addicted. I'm <clears throat> free and clear. There's very little for me. <clears throat> oh, that's better. Stormtrooper poetry. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Of course. So, you know, anyway. Art is genius. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It is. It's genius. I Poetry. love it. So, all right. So, um, I think real quick, I just want to touch on uh, the fact that uh, Krista, um, your husband went to uh, Tatooine this week. Did he, he not? He did. Yeah, he did so without your permission. 
Uh, I did. Christopher, you didn't tell me? Dude. Well, actually, I blinded you uh, with, uh, well, we'll... We'll we'll get to it, right? we'll, We'll get to it. This is Watto for Watto's Bargain Basement, and I want you to come on down to Tatooine this week for our big special sale. Tell them Java sent you and you get a free chance cube. Uh, we got the deals for you. Come on down to Watto's Bargain Basement. Uh, what do you know? Ah, uh... uh, yes. All right. Well, I, I kind of wanted to keep it a secret uh, from you, TG, mostly because I, I, I knew that you might, you know, I could maybe surprise you with it later. Um, but literally, Watto pulled up this little yellow belt uh, with a picture of a bat on the front of it, and he kind of whipped this thing off and sold it to me. And um, it's called the R9 Flash Canister. Yes, sir. And uh, I've been waiting for this item for a while, and uh, there's been lots of house rules up for flash grenades, <laughs> but we've finally been given it. Page 61 of the Jedi Academy training manual. Um, a lot of people were surprised to see this in here, uh, but it's used extensively in Jedi training, um, but it can be used for a lot of other things, too. Uh, the R9 flash canister is your basic flash grenade. It's a, it's a simple thrown weapon with a restricted rating only, which is fantastic, that costs a paltry 100 credits. Um, at only half a kilo in weight, like most other grenades, it is light, and it can easily fit in a bandolier. It also deals zero damage, but it does something arguably better. First of all, it has a three-square burst radius. Okay, most grenades only have a two-square radius. But if your attack roll beats a target's reflex defense, all other creatures have total concealment from that target until the start of the attacker's next turn all right so it's a flash grenade it's freaking awesome um i think i don't know man this is a scoundrel's best friend and it's perfect for just a multitude of uses i mean not the least of which is for the the sneak attack dastardly striker i mean krista you're you're uh, you're tagruda um uh a scoundrel in cat's game i mean would just totally dig off this oh yeah absolutely oh, yeah it provides concealment needed for a character to use the stealth skill in plain sight. And even then, total it's a way to give an instant debuff, for lack of a better term, to that foe. If you do manage to hit, everyone has total concealment. I mean, that's a, that's a minus five to any attack rolls they make against them, you know? Obviously, now, it doesn't work against blind creatures or creatures that are able to get by without sight. But even then, yeah, still, the uses are endless. Indeed. I absolutely love it. Yep. All right, so... That's good. I, I I really enjoy the whole idea of a flashbang, and I think it's been needed for a while. Actually, yeah, yeah. It's kind of the one thing that was kind of sticking out of all the we've got frag grenades and all that, but we don't have a flash, so it's all good. Now we do, and we're slowly building up Batman's gear. I, I'm expecting to see a full Batman build, like by you know late, maybe early 2010, with some of the newer books coming out. Oh we, yeah, we talked about the Batman build. Yeah, we did actually with Crime Lord, but I mean, you know, to have the full tool belt, you know, you got to yeah. have Batman's tool belt, basically. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're going to stop down for uh, about three minutes for Fragments from the Rim and talk with uh, Alex and Trevor, and then we'll be back with you guys on the other side. Welcome, Jedi Masters, to Fragments from the Rim. How may we be of service to you today? Hi, this is Alex. And Trevor. 
and this is segment 18 of Fragments from the Rim. For this segment, I've chosen the feat Staggering Attack from page 24 of Scum and Villainy. It says, Anytime you would deal additional damage from a feat that grants one or more extra dice of damage, you can forgo the extra damage to move the target two squares per extra die sacrificed. This movement does not provoke attacks of opportunity. It does have the prerequisites of sneak attack talent, or rapid shot, or rapid strike, but it does not explicitly call out in the benefit that you cannot use dead eye or some other source of extra dice of damage. However, it says in that benefit that it's from a feat, even though sneak attack talent is one of the prerequisites. I would rule as GM that other sources of extra dice of damage would also be acceptable. Now, what is this good for? Move opponent off a cliff? Into a hazard? Or into the reach of a multiple attacking ally? I can see all sorts of interesting uses for this. Over to you, Trevor. Today, I'm going to talk about the Cunning Strategist talent from page 15 of the KOTOR Handbook. This is another one of the talents, like the one I mentioned in the last fragment, that is multifaceted to reflect the same kind of abilities that Jedi have with their Force powers, but for non-Force-using characters. This particular talent allows you to use one of three different actions during any single encounter, and you can use all three of them in the same encounter, one, two, any combination thereof. The first one is called Create Opening. If you make a melee or ranged attack against someone within your range, if you hit them, they are minus five to their reflex until the start of their next turn. The second capability is called Crippling Attack. Again, you make a single melee or ranged attack against your opponent, and until the beginning of their next turn, they are minus two to their base speed. And the third option is called Vicious Attack. If you make a ranged attack against someone and there's another target that is within two squares of that person, you make two rolls at minus five against each target, and you make one damage roll. Now, these are really nice because in any given combat situation, you are bound to use one, if not all three of these. And considering that you will either take five off their reflex, two away from their speed, or just damage two targets, and in the event that the, you rolled a 20 with the two targets, that would be a lot of damage. This is a very nice talent to have and is very versatile, two things that you want in a talent. Anyways, if you have any questions or comments, please uh, send Alex or I an email at order66 underscore fragments at rogers.com. And until next time, have fun gaming. Thank you, Masters, for visiting Fragments from the Rim. Very nice. It's a very nice. Yes. I like it a lot. Good stuff. Yes, thank you very much, Alex Trevor, as usual. So, you know what that means, do, do you not, sir? And ma'am. <laughs> of course. Uh, it's time for the crunch. Actually, you know, the crunch was kind of... We took a long time with questions and stuff because that kind of was the crunch. Yeah, very crunchy. And I knew we had a question-heavy episode this episode, so I decided to go for something a little creamy Ooh. to uh, continue with the peanut butter analogy. Oh, <laughs> peanut butter. Yes, we're going to call this uh, segment My Prerogative. And no, I'm not talking about Bobby Brown. Um, this is a, a response to a very old request that we had after an episode that I was not a part of. <laughs> uh, back when Dave and friends had an excellent discussion um, about what gamers look for in a game. And uh, we had a, 
I, I literally probably about three dozen requests uh, to continue with that discussion in a different vein, and so I'm going to return to that right now, uh, talking about the responsibilities, roles, and desires of the GM and the player. What do players look for in a good GM? What should they expect? What do GMs look for in a good player, and what should they expect? Uh, this is going to be a very discourse-heavy discussion, and we're going to share our opinions as well as give you some ideas that you may not have considered in terms of playgroups and GMing. And uh, with that, away we go. Yeah. Wow. Ah. All right, so this, this first part, I want to talk about this little segment I want to call um, 42, which is, of course, the answer uh, to the ultimate question of life, life, the universe, and everything. Of life? Yeah, question. No, the life, the universe, and everything, not not a light. Although, but what? Well, but th- no, that th- that is the question, and what that's that's the now? point of the segment. 40, why why are we here? Forty two is what the question. We, uh, they, well, yes, no, forty two is the answer. Okay. Uh, anyway, why are we here? <laughs> what are we doing? Why, ladies and gentlemen, do we game? I mean, understanding the reason behind why legions of ultra-cool, highly fashionable, physically fit people spend hours each week rolling dice and fiddling with character sheets will help us on our journey by identifying the values that certain people place on gaming and why they game a certain way. I'm picking up your sarcasm there. Nonsense. None. I know not, I, I know not of what you speak. What are you trying to say about the people who listen to this podcast i'm trying to say that i need to get to the gym more is what i'm trying to say (laughs) (laughs) all right so talk to me guys talk about why the player plays i mean seriously what does a player get out of it i mean when when you sit down to a game and this is a hobby you enjoy what draws you to it and what do you expect to get out of a game because a lot of that's going to translate to what you expect to get out of your gm dave what what do you get out of it? Um, for me, I'm, I'm a little bit different than most. Um, mine is just to sit around and get away from my house. <laughs> that, I mean, quite honestly, um, that's pretty much it. It's, um, it's a way to kind of release, be with friends, and uh, that's, that's it. I hate to disappoint everybody that I look forward to playing a game and I obsess over my character sheets trying to find every little bit of way to get a plus one more piece of damage like Jake would do with his big ass gun on his soldier but I don't sorry I'm I'm not I just don't I definitely I look forward to the break and I just get away this is very important for you you're the type of player that this is and I know what you're talking about it is a mental release it is it is it is checking the world out and, and checking into a different one. Yeah. There you go. TG, what do you get out of it? Well, I I enjoy the before and the after of the game, actually. So I like the prep beforehand. Unlike Dave, I do like to spend lots of time going through finding the best possible combination of feats for this particular character that fits in with the role playing for the character. Um, and then I like after the game sitting around with friends um, or, you know, days or weeks or years later. Remember that one time when we were fighting that beholder? Oh, we're talking about Star Wars here. But beholder. You get what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
I, no, yeah, I know, I know, exactly I know what, what you saying. mean. And I, I would enjoy, I would love nothing better to sit around after the game and talk about stuff too, but unfortunately, I always have to take off right after the game. But it that's that's where I get the most fun out of it is talking with friends. There you go, and it, it's a it's a social thing. Why, why do we do this instead of play video games? Because it's it's social, all right. But people get different things on different games. Some people, I think, players play because it, it's a way for them to to check out, to experience fun in a world that's not this one. Other players play as a I mean, TG, what what would you say? A mental exercise? Um, yeah. a, a way to flex your creative expertise? Um, others, I think, play as a tactical challenge. Um, a way to sit at a chessboard that's not a chessboard. A lot of people really dig that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, and certain players, and I know you guys both know, we game with a couple of them, play for the sheer joy of, of living out a character. Uh, being a part of a story. Um, I'm sure we can't think of anyone in our play group who gets a kick out of that. Huh. Mm. Cat. Cat. Prev. <laughs> Cat. Prev. Cat. Hey, you know, I kind of enjoy that aspect of it, too, because... Yes, you do. You know, I've created this Wookiee guy. Yeah, my characters all tend to be Wookiees, but they all have a different aspect to them, always. So, it's fun. Being uber-protective of, um, of children or... Well, this beloved. this is the first time that I've had like um, a hateful hateful against droids, for example. That's very true. Uber protective of children. That's mm-hmm. like that's like real life kind of bleeding in the yeah. store there. <laughs> uh huh. There yep. you go. Exactly. So. So, so, so some of the things a player gets out of it, and players I think play for different reasons, and it's important to understand why your players are playing a certain way. Um, you know, as a GM. What, what, do, what do I look for in a good player? Um, what, do I, what do I want them to get out of it? I, I want them to get out of it, first and foremost, what you, what you alluded to, Dave, having fun with friends. That's the only reason I continue to do this is because I have so much freaking fun getting together with my friends and telling a story that we're all a part of. And I, I look for a player who actively enjoys that aspect of it. Um, and, and I think that's, that's marvelous. Well, okay. Talk talk to me about about GMs, guys. Uh, I mean, I I know what I get out of it. I, I when I when I GM, I I for for me, it's all about storytelling. It's the it's a it's the ability to tell a story, to write a story, to tell it, and to see it come alive before me. That's what ultimately is in it for me. I mean, and I think you guys... you're the exception. Yeah. Well, thank. I, I, that's good. Maybe bad. Why why do you think most people? Why do you think most people GM? I think the really good GMs, I do it for the reason that you do it because they're wanting to create a story, but they're wanting to get um, input from the players for creating that story. They don't want to be the only one. Um, right. There's there's ones that like to get up there and be the know-it-alls. They're they just want to be the boss, and they're usually the ones that are the rule lawyers when they're a player. I would think. Um, I don't know. I can't think of any other ways. There, there's probably GMs that are just getting shoved into it just because, <laughs> <laughs> because nobody else wants to do it. The you know? reluctant GM. The, the reluctant G- GM. The one that there's probably the one out there. Same way with a with a player. It's a tactical challenge. They want to create the most difficult, the most um, 
they just want to create a mental puzzle for their players to have to figure out. And that's the only point of them doing it. They're not trying to really create a story. They're not trying to really have any fun with it. They're just creating their own chessboard. In I, essence. I have played with those GMs, unfortunately. Well, D- Dave, you, you, you know, I know you're planning your own campaign right now. I mean, what, what's, what's driven you to the GM table? Why, why do you want to do it? What are you hoping to get out of it? Uh, the sheer embarrassment that I haven't run a campaign is the only thing actually motivating me at this point. <laughs> the, the, the reluctant GM. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think um, I, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a naysayer when it comes to the GM chair. I, I believe that most, I would say most being 65%, GMs GM because they don't trust anyone else to do it. That they have some manner of control freakishness. They cannot simply sit and be a player. And you know, in my case, in in in, you know, from from my perspective, where I sit, I think that's a character fault that makes most people a GM, simply because they can't allow themselves to be taken along for the ride, and so they have to exert their control over it. So I I do believe that is where most of the GMs at least begin to formulate their GM-dom. Now, where they go with that, does that make them a bad GM automatically? No, it doesn't. But I would say that of the 65% or so that are, are GMs because they want to be the GM, they want to be the guy in charge, they don't necessarily trust, or whatever the list of reasons are that they wanted to be a GM, I would say that the number of bad GMs probably outnumber the good GMs 4 to 1, whereas... In the other thirty percent or so of the storytellers that really want to want to drive a game or even build a puzzle or or have some other storytelling aspect or, or trying to bring a, a group of people together or some some more noble aspect in my opinion, those of the people I would say that the GMs outnumber the good GMs outnumber the bad GMs probably five or six to one in that category. So, you know, I'm a pretty good re- reader of people, so if I sit one session with a GM and realize that they're a GM just because they don't want to sit in the player's chair, I'm out. That's it. If, if, I, if I meet a GM who will never under any circumstances play, and, and we've had a couple on our show, as a matter of fact, that say, I'm always a GM, I never play. Sorry, pal. I'm not ever playing in your game. That's just yeah, the way half, it is. Half the time when they say I'm not, I, I never play. It's because they don't. Like it, 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 it's because they're forced into the GM chair. Right. It's like I want to play, but nobody else is willing to GM. Right, and that's and that's fine. If that's the case, then that's fine. I'm with you. But if you're not, if you're going to GM and you always GM and you won't play, even if given the choice, sorry, I'm not sitting at your table. That's just the way it do is. Do you think? Do you think it's bad for somebody to say, "I'm always going to play. I will never GM." No, not at all. The reverse. I, I, no, how come? I have said that. I have said that for years that I don't ever want to GM. I just don't. I don't want the headache. I have a tendency. You are though. What? But you are going to GM. Nah, so I don't know about that. I, I, yeah, I'm still not 100 percent sold on it. I don't. I don't have a problem not ever GMing. You know, I players play, and if I. For, I'm not going to fault someone for not thinking that they're ready to be a GM or they don't want to go through the rules lawyering. And I have a tendency to get annoyed and a little bit emotional. And, you know, I wear my emotions on my sleeve anyway. So if if someone is, in my opinion, being a butthead for the sake of being a butthead because they want an extra die of damage or they want plus one or plus two and so they're trying to twist the rule, I'm going to say, you idiot, 
shut up. And it usually doesn't go <laughs> very well across the table, you know, because those people annoy me. Well, I think being a good GM or being a good player is about understanding what you want out of it and understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are. And I think that divergent playgroups often experience trouble because the GM and the players, or even different players amongst themselves, want something totally different out of the experience. And so bridging off this discussion, guys, I kind of want to expand into this point and talk about um, a segment I call Who's at Your Table? I think it's sometimes easy to identify the type of gamer you're dealing with. We've been throwing around some pretty broad generalizations um, based on that gamer's attitude and play style. Now, I want to preface this by saying that this list is is for humor's sake. It is by no means inclusive. Um, but I think many players and GMs can be identified with certain styles. And it is important to note that these are not mutually exclusive. Being a rules lawyer does not mean you can't be a good role player. And being a good role player does not mean that you know nothing about the rules. Um, I, I think all of us tend to touch on these in our gaming careers at some point or another. Um, so, I mean, this, this is kind of the basic list that I've made a very long time ago of different player archetypes based on the people that I've gamed with in my life. And uh, I'm sure as I talk about them, you guys can all think of people that exemplify this. But in terms of player paradigms, TG, why don't you share with us the very first one? Oh, this has to be my absolute favorite. I say that with a grin on my face. The rules lawyer, they demand you run it as written. <laughs> and they like to question every single GM decision. And they will bring up a rule that actually hurts themselves or their allies. I don't, you know, if, if, anyways, I, these, I, I guess because it's such a, an opposite to me, this is probably the one that irritates me the most. Yeah, me too. It's having somebody sitting at the table who's constantly questioning what the GM is doing. Those are the people who generally like to be the GM. And would prefer to not be a player because they want to be in control because they think they can do it better. Sometimes. Maybe. So, sometimes. Now, th this is often a, a, a negative connotation, but I think that each one of these paradigms has a positive and a negative. I think it can take something away from the experience, which obviously you just delved into, but I think it can add something to the gaming experience as well. Having a player that is very well versed in the rules can be a very good thing. The rules are written for a reason. If we didn't, ha I mean, if we weren't going to use the rules at all, we could just, you know, grab some coloring books and go play make believe. Maybe throw some dice every now and then. The, the rules represent a quantitative balanced system. When there's a question, it's often handy to have a, a rules lawyer, and I mean that in a good sense, on hand. But I think the the silliness comes when that person gives advice, <laughs> quote unquote that is not uh, wanted or requested. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very true. So, yeah. Uh, Dave, what about the next player paradigm? Uh, let's see. I'm going to call this guy Xerox. Xerox. Yeah. I've played with a couple of Xeroxes. This is your pretty basic role-playing. This is often a lot of the reason people get into role-playing. Just because yeah. they build Chewbacca. <laughs> or they build wedge they pick a guy and they copy it 
to the, to the T. And not even within the same role-playing systems. I mean, seriously, how many times have you seen... The Batman you know, build. The Batman build, or yeah. John McClane, or, you know, Welcome Clint to the Eastwood. party, pal. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, it's a player playing so they can emulate a hero. Um, and yeah. I don't know, th- th- this can be a lot of fun for people, but I think that... That you know, I mean, and if if you get a kick out of it, if if you want to play, so you can bring this character to life, that's a lot of fun. But it also can lead to some problems in the fact that you know it can often lead you to some very rigid character decisions. Yep. Okay. Can we talk about your friend now? Our friend. Yeah. Which friend? I have several. Yeah, well, only a couple though. There's um. Well, there's one in particular that is next on our list that falls into the next one. Uh, I, I'm not going to name names, but this yeah, I'm next not one... Either. I, I'm not either. This, ne- this next one I call the Munchkin. Um, and for those not familiar with gaming parlance, the Munchkin is a name given to somebody who... I, I call it also known as Captain Uberbuild, uh, the person who plays for one reason only, to break the game, to use existing rules and in strange ways to create Superman, to the ultimate character who can decimate anything with a touch, anything you can do, he can do better. Um, yeah. you know, what can I do to make the ultimate, ultimate freak? And TG, I know in our old game group, and I think Dave is game with about half of those people, we had a lot of munchkins in that group. Oh, we yeah. Had, we had a lot. And I, no, no, let, me, let me say this. We are all guilty of munchkinism every now. Anyone who has ever taken the education destiny (laughs) 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 all right has a little bit of munchkin in them okay yeah i I mean no one's immune to it i'm not immune to it but there are certain players who play the game specifically because they get a great deal of enjoyment out of being munchkins and and decimating everything with a single touch and you know what that that may sound counterintuitive to a lot of people. If you have a group of players and a GM that all enjoys this, it can be an absolute blast. It's what I call Dragon Ball Z games, where it's just, you know, ah, power level 30! Ah! (laughs) And, you know, and, oh, everyone's dead. You know, and at this point, you can, I can feel confident as as a GM throwing a CL20 against this party of sixes, and they decimate it in five rounds. And that's fun sometimes. It's when you get like a, a role player in there. Yeah. You know, someone who's a Xeroxer, then that, because they're trying to play a particular style. And they, I, I think Munchkins don't tend to role play a whole lot. Eh. I could be wrong. I mean, there could be. Well, yeah, I mean, with there, our with there, our there old group, vehemently disagree with you, but but yeah. Well, yeah. with our old group, none of them would want to play would want to role play because they didn't want to look stupid in front of one another or whatever their manly man reason for doing it. But every <laughs> damn one of them would go through fine tooth for like six hours before the game trying to squeeze plus one out of their character with some cockamamie rule. Somehow. And it was like, you know, well, dude, you want to role play? Yeah, man, I want to role play. I want to role Yeah, yeah. But when the, when the chips were down, <laughs> like, they couldn't do it. It's like, okay, you guys all understand. You're sitting around playing Dungeons and Dragons. What are you afraid of? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. You afraid of you afraid a hot girl's gonna walk in the room? <laughs> yeah, right. See you role playing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think. Um, but even then, I think I think a lot of those guys got got a thrill out of being Munchkins. It was fun to find a way to to quote unquote break the game. So 
that is that is one option, and it can be fun, but it's important to identify a good Munchkin player early. Um, they can right. they can be a major thorn in your side as a GM. So. Right. All right, TG, what's next on our list? Uh, Captain Kirk. That's Picard. Captain Kirk. Picard. <laughs> we can make we can make it Picard. That's fine. Janeway. Yeah, that that's a little bit better. Well, what is what is Captain Picard? Well, I don't think this is Captain Picard. I think it's more Captain Kirk. It's fitting, especially with the movie out. He's the leader, whether you like it or not. See, Picard <laughs> was the leader because he was just that good. But Kirk was the leader because, damn it, that's what he was going to be. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to double fist slam you in the back until you submit. Uh, okay, ladies and gentlemen, I, we, we're in this situation. I know what we should do. Okay, you, Ren, you go over there and you talk to other Ren people. Now you go over there and you stand in that corner and hide, scoundrel. And I'm going to stand here and I'm going to hide my pistol and get ready to shoot and something such. Yeah. Now I think the, this is more. Lead. I think this is more of a personality trait than anything else because my favorite is when you get somebody who enjoys being a role player, and is, oh man, I'm going to play a secretive character. I'm going to play a character with a very subdued personality, and that person is a Captain Kirk. They they can't. It's it's, it's, it's hilarious. Like yeah, I'm playing a I'm playing a you know a Snivian you know techie who doesn't speak basic. Okay, but I'm going to try and lead every single encounter we get into. And uh, they they just can't help it sometimes. Um, I think I may be guilty of this. <laughs> I, well, <laughs> I'm going to activate Born Leader. I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> Dave? Um, <laughs> I, I, well... <laughs> But my, look, my thing is this: some parties need a leader. There's often one person, and th- this can be a very good p- player to have in a certain party when you need them to be there. Because if you have a party of lurkers, which we're going to come to, you need a leader. But when you have multiple leaders in a the party, there can often be a lot of clash. So there you go. Some some to look out for. All right. What is next, Dave? All right. So the ninja. This is the uh, guy. Very mysterious. <laughs> Very always, always, always is um, the guy who always wants total concealment, even in broad daylight with no trees. <laughs> I'm totally concealed because I have my super secret cloak from Harry Potter. Ah, this is Star Wars. I don't care. They can't see me. All right. Sneaky stab. I am so so guilty of this one too. I think even in our most recent game, that we played, it's like I activate stealth. I I, I activate stealth, and Cat's like, "You're you're in the middle of the Dune Sea on Tatooine, and you're wearing yeah, I know. I jump in the sand. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah, the the person who plays the rogue all the time." Every time. All and rogue all the time. This can be fun, but it can also be a little annoying because these players will often demand that the other players in the party can't see them either. Um, and <laughs> you know, it, it might be it might be out of fun, but it often becomes a rather serious... No, no, you can't see me. You don't know I'm there. And that be, uh, It's very... Yeah. Yeah, yeah very, 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 uh, very interesting. I think I've actually said that. 
<laughs> now, it becomes even more interesting, TG, when you have someone who is both the ninja and Captain Kirk, and they insist on being in the shadows and then directing the party's actions at the same time. <laughs> right. I know. I, oh, I'm so sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so sad now. Oh. <laughs> yep. Okay. All right. Uh, can I? Can I do? Um, can I do? Um, I want to call out. Um, never mind. I don't. Go ahead. No, no. Call it out. I was going to call out Doctor Hack and Slash. Please call out Doctor Hack and Slash. Which tends to be me. I, 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 uh, I, I do, <laughs> I do kind of gravitate toward the uh, the Hack and Slash. You know, and uh, blow things up, cut things in half. And if it's with a lightsaber, that's even better. <laughs> and it's, if it's with a great lightsaber, which is now available, that's even... Ah, this, the great saber, yeah. That's even better. <laughs> even better. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Now, one thing, though... Okay, I know you get a lot of hoot out of, out of that archetype being Dr. Hackenslash. You are not often guilty of what most Dr. Hackenslashes are guilty of, which is they usually get bored with role-playing or they're uncomfortable with it, kind of like what we were talking about earlier with our old playgroup. Um, and I don't really see that from you too terribly often. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, here's Adar. Or Who the heck is that? Who knows about Kachuk? How the heck is that possible? Well, I'm I'm guessing that you've talked about Kachuk on the podcast. I, I guess, but that, man, it's been a long time. But Kachuk was actually named after a hockey player, by the way. Keith Kachuk. <laughs> bet, bet nobody knew that. Anyway. I yeah, know. no, yeah, you're right. Well, there you go. Well, after Dr. Hackenslash... Um, and again, this, for me, that kind of fits in with the, the munchkins, basically. It can be a very, very fun way to play, especially if you have a whole party and a GM devoted to it. Your classic dungeon crawl mentality. But after that, you have what is almost can be the direct opposite, which is what I like to call the drama queen. Now, oh, I know who fits this perfectly. <laughs> there's a couple. This, this is the actor in the group. They, uh-huh. wouldn't, they wouldn't care if an ounce of combat occurred as long as many, many hours were spent with in-character deep role-playing. Ah, yes. Now, yes. Now, now uh, this is... Um, this, a lot of people would argue that this is the reason you role-play, is, is to actually role-play, to, to do it. But, you know, a lot of people get a lot out of the, the mechanical aspect of it. And I think having a what I call a drama queen versus a Dr. Hackenslash can be one of the more jarring disruptions in a group. Would you guys not agree? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's it, it, it can be there. To cater to that type of player can be very easy, and it can also be very hard depending on your GM style. But usually. If you have a player that is a drama queen with no desire to, to do combat, and you have a hack and slash that has no desire to do any type of role playing, and that's not always not always the case, but sometimes it is. Um, the, you can you can have the greatest difficulty as a GM, and that can be very hard. So I just want to bring up that uh, Darth Jared in Echo Base mm-hmm. wants everyone to know that not only does he become addicted to subway sandwiches in every single encounter, but he always gets married in at least every one of his D and D campaigns. The drama queen. Yes, the drama queen. So he's got Subway sandwiches in one hand, he's fighting with the other, and then he gets married. <laughs> Every time. Every time. I like the drama queens. I I do too. Because... I've heard that about you. <laughs> well, so I like I like them because I can't be one. I cannot act 
for anything. And so I get to watch them act and it's fun. They make it fun for me. But that's because I'm not a hack and slash, you know, I, I, I I would disagree. I think you're very much a hack and slash actually. Uh, Really? Hack and slash munchkin ninja Kirk leading, (laughs) leading dramatically from the shadows. I like that. So apparently my husband went through and thought about all of the things that I do that annoy him and listed. <laughs> yes, that's how I do all my show notes. TG. Ah, yeah. Um, there you go. <laughs> well, what is next on our paradigm list, TG? The next one is the chess master. Oh. Now, this is the game chess, not with a T on the end, okay? No. The, this is the other end of the spectrum of, well, of quite a few things, actually. <laughs> They they need an hour to accurately plan an encounter that occurs within a minute. Yeah. Because preparation is the key to success. They dig into those tactics. They really like those tactics and, uh. and trying to figure out what's the best way to position people and who needs to be buffed at what time. And, and if you stand here and I stand there, then we can have these kind of bonuses to oh, well, kill that it sounds, within does that sound familiar? three rounds instead of seven. <laughs> that sounds familiar to me. Now, I, I, I love Nadeth. He's my best friend. I'm going to call out Jake Scarada in the chat room right now because he is very much a chess master. And in a good way. It, it, it adds a lot to the game when he does it. But yeah. it's, oh, it's Okay, let's pause. Let's think about this. Okay, wh- where's he at? I mean, literally, when it's his turn, he's thinking. He's thinking hard. Yes. Every every square moved is a tactical decision of magnanimous importance. That's and, right. Um, and you know, I think the thing that is probably most frustrating for the chess master is when they have a GM that doesn't understand their need to do that and rushes them. Okay, guys, make a decision. All right, if you're not making a decision in the next six seconds, then this is what's going to happen. That you know gotta be so frustrating no i gotta think this out there's a there's a right way to do this <laughs> exactly exactly so i don't know i mean but honestly as far as the chess masters go i mean we've had a few in our current group but i don't know in our prior play group we didn't have too many with the hack and slashers yeah i mean dave current- dave did you have you experienced any other chess masters no and you know i Jake, don't get mad at me. I, I don't know that I would call Jake a chess master. I mean, yes and no. I, I don't. I, I don't. He and Jake spends way more time preparing before the game even starts to get his guy ready. I would agree. You that, know? That's, that is very much part of the chess master, though. I guess. And see, he's totally fine with that. I mean, he he's is. just he's saying he's totally cool with that, and that's good. And but that, that's that's what Jake gets out of it. And that's, well, no, that's, that's fine, that's, and that's that's perfectly acceptable to me. I just you know it's not, um, I don't like spending the time, but that's just me. You know, I don't. I don't. That's that's I, your I, style I like play. running is... in and doing stuff and having fun, yeah. and and that's and that's what I get out of it. So, bottom line, I guess to each their own. You know, and I, I tend to be more of a comedian during the whole thing. Sometimes if I'm in good form, but you know. Well, it's, I think I think TG hit the nail on the head that that it can cause the greatest problem not only between GMs and 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 a a chess master player, but also other players and chess master players um, that there can be some frustrations when it's when they're when other players don't want to take the time to plan. 
or you know work it out, and that could be a source of frustration. But Dave, you obviously hit on the next one, which <laughs> uh, I would say you do have a fair share of, which is what? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, the comedian's only there like to uh, for comic relief. <laughs> you know, the... Um, the GM who goes through great pains to script a very carefully prepared dramatic moment and all its cinematic glory, all of a sudden I'll just pop up with something. Well, I, st- <laughs> I don't know what I could possibly come up with, but uh, I step up to the middle of the whatever structure you've him. placed there. I step up and I take a dump on it or something. I don't know. <laughs> Something really stupid like that, you know. I walk up and I tap the statue on the breast. I, you know, <laughs> I don't know, which I, I activates a trap. I, <laughs> I think the comedian is actually the opposite of the drama queen, because they're the one who ultimately it's it's no matter how dramatic it gets, no matter what you know it's you know what I'm going to keep this fun, I'm going to keep this light, no matter what. And honestly, <laughs> a comedian can actually save a game especially when, when things are getting way too serious because it reminds everyone the most important aspect to have fun and to keep things light. But it can also be, you know, quite frankly, it can sometimes be a mood killer, especially in a moment of heightened tension. And I don't think you're a bad comedian, Dave. I think you're dramatic when you need to be and you're hilarious when you don't need to be. You know who's a comedian almost all the time? Hmm. Brad. Brad. Oh, I don't know. He's gotten pretty serious. There's been some moments where he's There very... have been times where he's been very serious, but ge- it has to be to see it. uber serious for him to get that way. Generally, he's he's there to laugh and, and have fun and make jokes, which he does very well. I have yet to see Brev serious ever in a game. Oh, I, I disagree, man. The, the session where your character lost his arm... And the big reveal happened with the with the big bad evil guy, the gal. <laughs> he was pretty serious in that session. Yeah, that was pretty intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you're right. You're right. Okay, once. It was, but 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 it was that's when it was needed. That's okay. Was needed. Yeah, there you so go. There you go. Okay. Well, the, the next one is one that I I've I only you, you you come across this player every so often, and we all know who we're talking about here when we talk about it. We all have somebody like this in our gaming group, no matter where you are. I call them the lurker. They show up, well-prepared character. They say little, almost nothing. But when they speak, it's usually freakishly insightful. Yeah. <laughs> when they do do something, it usually impacts the game in a shattering type of way. <laughs> you said doo-doo. You said doo-doo. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, hosers. Uh, yes. I love it. <laughs> But seriously, uh, what, I, what I call the lurker, a lot of GMs, especially GMs that are very active storytellers and or players that are drama queens can get frustrated with a lurker because they think they're disinterested. But in reality, they're not. They're just biding their time. Yeah. Appropriate. See, and GM Brev would always accuse me of being disinterested because I kind of lurked a lot until he kind of got to know my play style. I don't say very much. No. No, and you don't. No, you're, you're a lurker. Booter is a lurker. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the things, when you do something, it is, it is so freaking decisive. Booter is like a lurker crossed with a ninja. It's, <laughs> right. it's, yeah. like, it's like, you don't know I'm here, and you're not going to know I'm here. 
<laughs> until I decide to do something, I'm going to save 10,000 people with a single skill check. <laughs> or I'm, <laughs> I'm going to destroy a BBEG with one shot to the back of the head first try. Right. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, that, that's fantastic. Yep. And the, the last player paradigm I, I kind of felt need to talk about, and you guys alluded to this earlier, okay, is what I call the GM encased in carbonite. <laughs> this is the player who wants to be the GM, the player who prefers to be the GM, the player who likes to be the oh, GM. Oh, boy. Who, whom is running this game? This is this this is not just the, pl- the the person who... Now, you guys said earlier with a rules lawyer, okay? Maybe this is a rules lawyer. Oh, not often. I, I define this more as the player who likes to hide things from the GM and their fellow players. Like what? Okay, like like prime example. Remember the uh, remember the fight that we started on the forums when we talked about the one guy that showed up with his game and he had his character all rolled up with all kinds of rules from other systems and didn't tell the GM about it. That is a very common example of the GM in Carbonite. Um, another. By the way, we we were going to have those two guys on the show here in the next coming months to talk about that too. Um, we were going to have another uh, uh, one of the more common examples. I I can see the one that just irks me to no end, and this is a real actually a really big hot button of mine. Um, as a GM, one of the few things that can get me momentarily really angry is like, okay, um, uh, Rebaka, uh, what's your character's reflex defense? Tell me what the hit is. I'll tell you if it hit. Yeah. No. Tell me what your character's reflex defense is. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm the GM. T- tell me that. I, that. That is something I need to know. Okay, It's not you versus me. It's not hidden knowledge. I'm not trying to shank you. Trust me to run a good, you know, but th- that's kind of what I'm talking about. Does that make sense, TG? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, oh, you weren't talking to me. Sorry. Well, no, no, I was talking, but she she asked the question initially, so. Um. So yeah, that that's kind of where I stand in terms of the of the the GM and Carbonite. Dave is apparently getting confused this evening. First, he thought he was you, and now he's thinking he's <laughs> me by answering. Oh, but to be fair, who doesn't want to be you, TG? Uh, uh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> It's all right, true. all right. So, GM paradigms to, to kind of conclude the paradigm discussion. I don't think there's as many as there are as players, but there's a few I have outlined. Um, Dave, why don't you tell us about the first one? First one's near and dear to my heart because I'm a good, I'm a pretty good chess player. And the first one I'm going to say is Deep Blue. <laughs> this is what happens when the chess master becomes a GM, and it's always you. Against them, heaven forbid they outsmart you because you're going to go home and you're just going to come up with a brand new campaign to kick their ass next time. And then they're all going to quit. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. We've, we've had a few people, a few GMs like this, have we not, Dave, TG? Yes. Yeah. Uh, what, what can I throw at you that's going to kill you? So, mm-hmm. yeah, pr- pretty much. There, 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 there is that. Now, I will say this. This is not often conducive to good GMing, but for a lot of players out there, they really get a kick out of this because they are the chess masters of the group who want that type of challenge. Okay, GM, give me your best shot. I'll take you out. And you know, if you have that sort of interplay, that can be a very rewarding type of game for those types of players. Um, my sometimes one of my one of my favorite types of GMs, but also one of my most despised types of GMs, I call Mr. Tolkien. <laughs> Uh, as in J.R.R. 
basically they are only here to tell a story. Is there and, any other uh, kind of Tolkien? <laughs> well, there's his son. Yeah, but anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Basically, it's Billy like, Tolkien. It's Christopher, actually. Um, and uh, basically, this GM is only there to tell a story. You know, oh, you want to be involved in the story? Well, okay, I guess. That's all right. But you need to listen to the 17 pages of NPC backstory that I wrote before you talk to this innkeeper, okay? <laughs> See, and, and that's, why, that's why when we get started at 7 o'clock for our game session, mm-hmm. by the time we actually get to fight our first guy, it's usually about 8.30 because we've gone through about an hour of backstory. But that's role-playing. It's not like you're just sitting there listening to it. <laughs> oh, so, so Dave, you're calling Chris out on See? being a Mr. Tolkien. Oh, he's going to admit the fact that he's a Mr. Tolkien. But he just said that was one of his most annoying types of GMs. It, it is. And, I, I mean, you guys tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think I take it to an extreme. No, you don't. I don't sit don't. there and, and I mean, because you, I, you guys have, I know you have all GM'd with, with, with uh, played with GMs that literally have five pages of backstory for the goblins selling you the stones on the side of the street. And, you know, it, it can get a little, a, a little, a little hairy sometimes. Yeah. I, my, my husband's like that. <laughs> See? <laughs> Harry sometimes? Thanks. Wow. All right, Chuckles, why don't you tell us about the next GM paradigm? Who are you talking to? I'm talking to Chuckles over there, TG. Mm. That would be me. The Captain Control. I need some kind of echo with that Captain Control. Okay, try that again. Captain Control. Oh, dang it. That only works for my mic. Sorry. Darn it. Okay. Captain Control. They're in it because they like to run things. Huh. This is what, this pretty is what Dave... Yeah, Dave alluded to this earlier, didn't he? Yeah. You, that's, just, yeah. you just want to be in charge. That's why you can't be a player. You can't sit at the table and play because you have to be in control. You know? Yeah. You're yeah. the hairy stamper of the gaming world. Thank you for that obscure, yet memorable reference. Of course. <laughs> All right, and the last GM archetype that I really call out as specific is almost the opposite of Captain Control. It's one I call Barney, as in the big purple dinosaur. Um, I think oh. this, is, I, this is you. Really? Often than anything. I think this is where oh, you fall. I, I, think, I think you have to have elements of Barney, but you still got to be able to tell your players no. Barney is the whole, can't we just all get along? This GM has zero problem sacrificing any or all of the rules, their own gaming principles, or the story in order to keep a player happy. And if a player starts whining or moaning, they will, okay, we'll go ahead and do it. Whatever, Whatever's going to keep the game going, keep you happy. Like, Dave, when you GM, this is the last thing you will ever be. <laughs> it's true. You're like, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to do this, and this is why. At least I think. I think you'd be surprised. Oh, I, I, I hope so. Um, my good friend Tenny uh, surprises me with his lack of Barneyism. His very first session as a GM, uh, you know, we're at the table and trying to, well, hey, can, can we do this? Or can we try to you know, do a little bit, little bit of rules bending at the table and stuff like that? And he's just like, no. Dude. No. Uh-uh. Tenny, I could tell you, I could tell you, without even having gamed with Tenny, just I can, I can just kind of hear it in his voice. Yep, that dude is like the 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 Hitler Stalin of the gaming world. 
dude. <laughs> but he's totally cool about it. It's, it's, but the thing is with him, and what I love about Tenny's GM style is it's not like he's a rules lawyer. It's not like he's going – I mean, literally, it, you can argue rules with him. It doesn't matter. He just ends the conversation. It's like, no, I, I don't want to run it that way. I'm going to rule this way. All right, let's moving on. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's like, like the, wow, like the okay. Nazi right there. It's great. It's refreshing. It's quick. His sessions are like two hours long. And we should all take notice from that. <laughs> when he says all, he means you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Boo. Boo. Uh, yeah. so, you, so you guys don't like my sessions then? Hey, I don't think I've ever really complained about it. I, I just, we're still yeah. playing. It's been over no, a yeah, year. Yeah, we're not we're still complaining. Playing. I'm just saying that you and Brevity do not collide in the same sentence. <laughs> Very how often. Loqua- how loquacious of you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys. Well, to kind of lead towards an eventual end of this meandering discussion, we have spent the last hour talking about different types of players, different types of GMs, talking about what people get out of games differently. So let's draw it all together and talk about gaming virtues. What do we want out of our players and GMs? We've taken a look at the good and the bad from these various play styles. What good can we take away from these various things? Uh, you know, starting out with, with okay, uh, let, let's, let's start out with GM virtues, since i got two dyed-in-the-wool players in front of me right now. Talk to me, guys. Like, TG, let's start with you. What, what is it that you want out of a GM? <laughs> Um, well, I'd like, I'd like for them to be, um, flexible, I guess, um, understanding if we're going to talk about specific virtues, virtue, virtues, excuse me, um, just patient is probably going to be the number one thing with me. I need to see a GM that is patient, um, cause I'm, I'm not a rules lawyer. I don't know everything inside and out. Um, so I need to have them to be knowledgeable, um, but patient and willing to tug to get the role-playing part of the team out in order to tell the story better. So that way we can all have fun. So you like a GM that can draw that out of you? Yes. Very interesting. Dave? What do you look for in a GM? What do you like in a GM? Uh, Oh, the deep contemplative sigh. (laughs) I I just, you know, I look for a GM that follows the tenets of Star Wars, which basically boil down to six movies that say, well... Hold on a second. Actually, I want. I want to. I want to. I want to preface this with uh, with just one um, little thing. And uh, apparently, whoa! Oh, sorry. I'm having a technical meltdown. So, all right. Here's what I want to say. The BBC first. would like to announce that the next scene is not considered suitable for family viewing. All right. So, six movies that say basically, don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is pretty much the point of the entire Star Wars saga, isn't it? Yeah, that pretty much is. So, you know, I'm I, I'm very particular in my I I have so little time, I have so little time to play that if I sit at your table and you are remotely being an ass, I have no problem getting up in the middle of the game and just basically leaving, and I'll do it because my time is very valuable to me. 
he will. I have seen it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Dave, 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 you you are one to stand up and go. Okay, uh, um, you're being an ass, and then just grab your book and leave. <laughs> yeah, and, and <laughs> okay. that's. I mean, yeah. And and a lot of people fault me for. Uh, yeah, I had a discussion last night actually with we were out with some friends and we were talking about how uh, the subject came up that I, I you know I was I, I'm a little abrupt at times and I was I was wondering as I have to tell a story about my daughter's birthday party that um, one of them on Saturday I had five of them or so stay over and one of them had a little boyfriend show up right he just shows up. And they're at the age now where my wife just let the kid into the house and I'm in the backyard with the girls and he walks out and I look at him and I said, what are you doing here? And he's like, I just came over. Like I, I turned to her, you know, to his uh, girlfriend who was one of Taylor's friends and do your parents know that he's here? And she was like, well, yeah, I could tell. Absolutely. No, they didn't know. And so I turned to the kid and I said, you got enough time to say hi, and then you're out. And it didn't go over very well with the girls, apparently. And about five minutes later, I walked back out and said, all right, you had enough time to say hi, and then I just gave him the thumb. Basically, you're done. You're out. But it comes from this, you know, it came from a deeper meaning, basically. I, I, you know, if, if, if I was, you know, to send my daughter to somebody's house, and they let her boyfriend in without me knowing, especially at a pool party, I am, I am so mad at that point. Yeah. With, without supervision, you know. So I'm putting my, you know, put the other shoe on the other foot. But anyway, I told that story to tell this basically that I have a tendency to sometimes be abrupt at things, but I don't necessarily hold punches either. You know, you'll you'll know what's on my mind because I'll say it, and I'm not the most charismatic guy in the room, but I get my point across. You do. So you need a GM that can handle that. Basically. Yeah, kind of, and not be a butthead. <laughs> pretty much. Just don't be a dick. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. much. Very interesting. Well, I don't know. There's there's GM virtues out there. I was having a conversation with Brad this afternoon, and, you know, like, for myself, one of the things as a player, and I, I love our group that we're developing because now I finally get a chance to play again for the first time in a long time because for a while I got thrust into that GM role because no one else wanted to do it. And um, it was it's so fun to get back to the table and just play. Um, things that I look for in a GM, I, I like my GM to be a good storyteller. I get a real kick out of that. Um, I enjoy taking part in a good story. I enjoy being a part of it. Like, Dave, you talked about you like to escape into that world. I want that world to be there. And so that's very important to me. Um, yeah. um, I also want my GM to be trusting. I want my GM to trust me to play well. I don't want the GM to second guess every single thing I do. But I think that trust goes both ways. And we'll talk mm -hmm. about that in a bit. Right. So, okay, as a GM, what do I want from my players? I'll, I'll go first. How about um, don't be a Richard? <laughs> pretty much. I think that goes through. Don't be a dick. Uh, there, there are six Star Wars movies that pretty much told you, yeah, just don't be a dick. Everything will be fine if you're just not a dick. Um... How many times are you going to say dick? Dick, 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 dick. <laughs> Richard, Richard, dick. Um, uh, but uh, seriously, I mean, just... Father, what so I... Uh, bah. What's that? What's uh, that? Nothing. 
What is she his saying? father would be ashamed right now. Oh, your father. Okay. Yes, his my, fa- father's my, name my, my father's name is Richard. Um, so, you know, yeah, that's kind of what I expect from my players. Don't just, just don't be a dick and enjoy yourself, have fun. But more importantly, what I really want from my players more than anything else is trust. And this goes back to everything else in the world. Trust me. Trust me to make the game fun. Trust me to tell a good story and to show you a good time. And if you've got a problem during the game that you want to rules layer me about, or you're concerned about an action, or you don't like a ruling that's been made, just just shh, just relax. <laughs> I promise you, it'll be okay. Trust me in what I'm doing, and trust me to make the game fun for you. And when I can develop that level of trust with my players early on, it usually nixes any problems in the bud. So that's that's pretty good. Well, I know you, you two are obviously not haven't haven't had the chance to sit in the GM's chair yet, but as a GM, you know, looking looking forward as a GM, what would you what do you want out of your players? And more importantly, as a player, what do you want out of your fellow players? Um Rule number one. That's the only rule. That's the only rule I have. I have a, I have it of GMs and I have it of players. That's don't it. be a dick. That's it. DBAD. DBAD. <laughs> We've developed a new acronym tonight. DBAD. That's right. DBAD. SWSE. That's it. That's it, brother. I mean that's it. I I I you know I'm gonna ex- I'm gonna treat you as a human. I expect you to do the same, and that's pretty much where it starts and ends. You know, be be tolerant of others. Allow me to tell a story because I'm gonna be more in it for the story aspect than it is. I, I am very much, you know, to kind of give you a clue. I am very much not a player, a GM versus player kind of uh, mentality. It is. I, I doubt very seriously I will ever kill someone in a game, and I'll tell you that. And you know, you can plan your characters accordingly. And um, just because I hate it when a character dies, I get, you know, generally pissed off when it come when I come close to dying. And I know what that feels like, and I don't want that to happen. I want you guys to have fun. I want you guys to have fun with each other. I want you to come up with some new and clever ways to figure out what is going to come at you, you will get some foreshadowing, and I guarantee you that you're not going to see what's coming. And that's the fun aspect for me as a GM. And so if you guys can roll with the punches, then, you know, great. But, um, you know, be engaged, have fun, be on your toes, and don't be a butthead. That's pretty much it. I'm buying what you're selling. Yep. I, I, I am I am pleased with your ideas and would like to subscribe to your magazine. <laughs> <laughs> TG, what about you? Well, I'm not so much going to speak about what I think a GM would want in a player. I don't have anything to go off for that. But I can speak as what I would like from the other people who are playing with me in respects to how they interact with the GM. Uh, I want someone to stay attentive. Uh, you know, I when you come to when we take the time to set aside specific time for us to be together to play this game, come prepared to play. And when you're there, don't doze off. Don't get up and and walk around and go attend to twenty different things. Don't get on yourself. Just be attentive. Um, and and to me, that's respect. That's respect for your fellow players, and that's respect for the GM who's put 
so much time into it. So being respectful is probably the number one thing that will piss me off quicker than anything else. Um, someone who's just sitting over there in La La Land drives me nuts. Screwing pay, around on their cell phone. Yeah, pay attention. Good grief, just pay attention to what's going on. And to kind of go back to what Dave was saying, the other thing I'd like is people to be creative. That's what I like to see in the other people that I'm working with. Let's try to not just, okay, so we're about to walk into this warehouse where there's a whole bunch of baddies. Let's just storm in and start shooting up the place. Okay, maybe there's a different way of handling this situation. We know what's coming. Let's let's think about it creatively and come up with some creative solutions. I mean, that's that's the point of doing it not that's the point of playing a role-playing game instead of being in a video game. I could go do that in a video game, just run in, storm the place, and shoot it all up. Or in role-playing, we can interact and come up with a different solution instead of just the obvious all the time. Sometimes the obvious is the best way, but not always. And just having people who are open to that, um, I think, makes it fun for the GM to know that people are really thinking about the challenges that that the GM's setting forth in front of them. I enjoy it. I also like your ideas and would like to subscribe to your publication. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, yes. The, the chat room is getting a super kick out of this. They're all in there at Echo Base going, Amen, TG, testify! Woo, testify. <laughs> uh, so, there you yeah. go. Donna uh, says, sometimes you have to be as subtle as a sledgehammer to the nards. Yep. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. But, but listen, to, to bring this discussion to a close, guys, I think there's the, the, the point of all this and the reason we're developing, we, we delved into all this as you listen to this, is think about what types of players you have in your game, what type of GM you are, what type of GM you have. Identifying differences in play style and personalities can help head off problems at the get-go. It's important to communicate at the start of, a, of an entire campaign, much less a game session, what your expectations are, and what you get out of the game. Talk to your players if you're a GM. Talk to your GM if you're a player. Say, this is what I find fun about this. If my players, and I have a, I have a couple that have had the nards to do this, and I love it, come to me and say, by the way, GM, I absolutely love tactical strategy in a game. I want it. I want to get the chance to use it. I really get a lot out of it. GM, I love social interplay. I want to be able to negotiate with people and be creative and think outside the mold. If you tell me these things, I promise you, I will find a way to make them in the game and for you to have fun and meet your needs. And I doubt there are many good GMs out there who wouldn't do the same. Cool. So there you, so there you go. There you are. My two cents for what it's worth. Ah, uh, yes. So, uh... Is it that time? I guess it is. <laughs> That's what the music would indicate. Sad panda music. Chris is a sad panda. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is the end of another show. Unfortunately, it is. And, yeah. 
<laughs> Thank you guys for listening. If you guys have any suggestions for the show, anything you'd like us to talk about, um, any questions for the docking bay, anything of that nature, um, please, of course, email us, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com, or get to the forums at d20radio.com slash forum. Sign up, become a member of the Gamer Nation, and speak your mind. And also, if you'd like to leave us any bumpers or any other uh, voicemail questions, you can, of course, give us a call. Where, Dave? There you go, 206-600-5872, or L-U-S-A, LUSA. And we, guys, got a buttload of bumpers. I've got like five going off the end of the show. I had three or four at the beginning. And Thank you all. Yes, we, we love it, and we love it, and we love it. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, so it's great. You guys just keep them coming. And we got some by email. We got some by phone. We, you know, it's just great. It is absolutely great. We got one question from GM Timothy uh, in by phone. I'm sorry, dude. I didn't have a chance to play it. Our show is running incredibly long. Uh, I promise we'll get to it next time around. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, we will tune into you next week. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. That's right. And I will say to keep them dice rolling. And may those dice be full of the force. Nice. See? That's new. Excellent tag. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. This is Cyril, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. And just because it hasn't been said for a while, GM Chris, you are such a punk. This is Adder Talon, and since I've been hiding from the Empire on Tatooine for the past decade or so... I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. This is Tarong Jedi. I heard that you're asking for bumpers, but I'm not really sure what to say here because I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. This is Ganthet, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. I'm afraid Captain Nita can no longer listen to the Order 66 podcast. This is Johnson Stevens, a.k.a. Donovan Morningfire on the forums. And I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. That's it. Show's over. What? You expecting Hamlet or something? Sheesh. Only a freelancer. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast.